Let me uh, open up in a word of prayer and ask the Lord for his help at this hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we know that all truth comes from you, Lord. If there is any truth in this world, it is from you. We know you are the source of all good things. If there's anything that we enjoyed this week and delighted in, Lord, it comes from your hand. Father, there's, there's no shifting shadow with you. You are the father of lights, and every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so we acknowledge you this morning, we worship you, and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, enable us uh, to be attentive to your word, Lord, during this time, as we learn about your word and how you produce it, how you caused it to be, because you want us to know you. And Lord, uh, we pray that we would be uh, teachable, moldable underneath the weight of your word. Lord, I pray that it would be a weighty thing every time that we open the scriptures, and may this morning be, be no different. Lord, we pray for the service, the church uh, worship service that uh, comes later. pray that you would uh, prepare hearts even now to come here and to hear from you, God. And, and Lord, I pray for the sinner that would come, that they would come to know you and that you would open their eyes to see uh, the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. And they would see him as that great pearl without price, that great treasure Lord, and, and the portion, the, the perfect portion for the cravings of their soul. Lord, do these things today. We rely on you completely to do anything of any worth this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at authority, the authority of Scripture as we continue through bibliology, the study of God's word, what gives somebody authority? Where does authority come from? What does authority mean? Authority means the power or the right to enforce obedience, claim moral or legal supremacy, and give the final decision and commands of what is to be done. That's according to Oxford. The Oxford Dictionary defines authority as the power or right to enforce obedience, claim moral or legal supremacy, and give the final decision and commands of what is to be done. What if, if something has authority, what it says goes. So when we think about the authority of Scripture, this refers to the Bible's position as the Word of God to obligate its readers or hearers to entire submission and obedience. Christian, you should embrace this definition of the authority of Scripture in your life. The, the Word of God, the Bible has a position because it is the very words of God. It has this power, this right in your life to, to obligate or demand. It is, it is an expectation of every single believer. When the scriptures are read, heard, or even remembered, that the believer 
is obligated to, to uh, respond in entire submission and obedience to what the Word of God says. You see, the Bible has authority as, as the rule for faith. It's the rule for faith, and th- that means that it gives the standard for what is to be believed. So what you believe comes from Scripture. It is also the rule of behavior, the standard of behavior. It, it not, not only tells you what to believe, but what to do. So your beliefs, your actions are all to come into submission and alignment with the Word of God. That is authority of Scripture. Wherever the Bible teaches a doctrine or a portion event, we are obligated to believe and accept it as truth. If the Bible says something, God says it, and that settles it. But where does this authority come from of the, in the Word of God? Well, it comes from uh, what we looked at last week in part. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We looked at last week that this word inspired it essentially is pointing to the reality that it was produced or created. Just like the stars in the heavens are created by the word of God and the, and the, and the divine, divine action of God, so also the pages and the words in front of you are the product, the creation of God's divine power. That is what the word of God is. It is the product, the word of God. So the, the Bible's authority... Uh, When we talk about the source of Scripture's authority, one source is from its divine origin. It's just that it is from God. It is God's Word. And for, I think, most of us, that's enough, right? God says it. He's my God, right? And so if He says something, that's pretty much the end of of the discussion, the end of the argument, right? So in some sense, we could stop here and we could all go just get some Stan's donuts and some, and some coffee. But we have an hour, so no, that's not all the word that that's not all that the word of God declares about itself. So we want to we want your understanding to be robust and, and your, your foundation because we, we do build our lives upon the word of God, right? We want that foundation, that assurance, that this is worthy of our lives being built upon. We want that to be rock solid. So, uh, Exodus 5. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, open to Exodus 5. We have here the beginnings of that great Exodus, that great deliverance that God works in, in the nation of Israel as he liberates them from the clutches of slavery in Egypt. Exodus 5, 5 through 12, 
And then we're going to zero in on a few verses, a couple verses. Beginning in verse 5, again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have, you would have them cease from their labors? See, this, this is Moses saying, on behalf of God, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says, wait, wait, uh, they're, they're at work right now. They're working for me. And, and you want all of these people, these millions of, of, of workers in my nation to just, just to, just to leave their posts? Here's, here's Pharaoh's response, verse 6. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it, because they are lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go out and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men, and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. You can see the cruelty of Pharaoh. His response to let my people go and worship their God is, I'm going to make you work so hard that you forget about your God. Sounds like a lot of employers today, doesn't it? Verse 10, I need to go on. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. A simple question. When the taskmasters and the uh, foreman come and give this new direction, this new uh, uh, command to the Israelite workers, where does their authority come from? Why would the Israelite slaves obey whatever these taskmasters are saying? Where does that authority come from? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Look, look, what he, look what they say. The taskmasters in verse 10. Here I have it here, actually. The taskmasters of the people and their foreman went out and spoke to the people. So, so they, they gave the command. Saying, they don't just say, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves. Look how they, they lead this command. Thus says Pharaoh. That's their authority. You see? This is what Pharaoh says. If you don't like what's being said, take it up with Pharaoh. Right? And of course, Pharaoh is the, the great king, the, the ruler of all of Egypt. So... As they speak, Pharaoh speaks. 
Now, translate this to the Bible. Over 400 times in all of Scripture, the Bible says, thus says the Lord. Not thus says Pharaoh, but thus says the Lord. Over 400 times in Scripture. The Bible's authority comes from God's authority. And God isn't some pharaoh, some temporary pharaoh, some temporary ruler of a nation. Let's see what Scripture says about the God who speaks in the Word. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, He is the creator of all things, including you and I. He is our creator. So, as creator, he has authority. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Notice, this this. Glory, honor, and power comes from, it's because he created all things. So the fact that he is the creator um, obligates us to give him glory, honor, and power. That is dominion over our lives. That rule comes from the fact that he created us. We are the creation He is the creator. That's where God's authority comes from, over us. Not only this, but explicitly, Scripture speaks of God as our ruler. Not just our creator, but our ruler. 1 Chronicles 29, 10-12 says, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord. God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Notice multiple times he speaks of the dominion in verse 11. There's the dominion that is God's. More explicitly in verse 12, everything comes from from him. Riches and honor come from God. He, He rules over all things and all people. Not only that, but he has power. He has the divine uh, ability to do whatever he wants. Power and might is in his hand. So much so that his rule is what dictates the rule of others. It lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Any greatness of any human being comes from God's hand because he is greatest of all. Any rule that somebody uh, wields Any office of leadership or authority comes from the hand of God. 
And so therefore, he is above them. He decides who won the election. And so the Lord placed Biden into office. He put him there. And so we ought to pray for him, right? If I can just step to the side here, we, we need to pray for this man and that woman that first God would save their souls, right? That somebody would have their ear that knows the gospel and that God would save them and deliver them from their sin because it is obvious that they are wayward from God. Just like the last one. We need to pray for them, that we would need to pray that God would guide them. And even if, if they aren't saved, that he would spare the church and, and move the hearts of, uh, of the administration to give, just give us freedom to preach the gospel. Just to let us say what the Bible says. If we have nothing else, we need to fight for that. All right. But it is God who appoints men and women into office, into positions of authority. We need to acknowledge him as their ruler. And every king, every president, every ruler only, does his, only carries out their office as well as they acknowledge that there is a divine ruler above them that they answer to. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. He has this ownership as ruler. We are his. Everything is his. It is the Lord's. It is his possession. It is under his rule. And so, whenever Scripture says... Thus says the Lord, we ought to listen. The source of Scripture's authority is in the character and the nature of God. It is His Word. And so when He speaks, we listen. We don't just listen. We listen with the plan to obey. Do you, do you do that? Can I ask you that? Do you, do you, when you come on a Sunday, is it to gain more information? Or do you actually have the intent of what the Lord says to me today, I'm going to do. You need to come with that intention. Planning to change. You ought to come expecting to, to hear something that, you, that God would have you change in your life or in your thinking. And you need to be coming here willing and ready with humble hearts to do whatever the Lord calls you to do today. That's our posture. Not just on Sundays, but every time we open up the Word, day by day. God, tell me what you want me to do. All right. Number two. The the challenges to Scripture's authority. This is where we kind of, as it were, step away from Scripture to look at what the, 
world would say about the word of God and how to treat it. So some wrong views of the Bible as God's word. So these are challenges to Scripture's authority. Now, of course, the wording here is, is tricky because nothing actually really technically challenges Scripture's authority. It is authoritative, right? But there are these, these wannabe challenges, these attempts to, to undercut the authority of Scripture in the world. So some wrong views of the Bible as God's word and its authority. One is modernism or liberalism. This view says that the Bible contains the word of God. It just contains the word of God. So that means, yeah, there's some divine things in there. um, But there's also some human error in there. And, you know, it's up to us to kind of try and figure that out. And, it's, and essentially what it boils down to is whatever I agree with, that's divine. Whatever I don't agree with, that's from the human author. And they were, they were off there. But when it just says God is love, then, man, that's divine. I'll take that, right? When it says God is justice, that he has a holy standard, uh, that was cultural, right? That was limited, no, that, that's wrong. The Bible, just, the Bible doesn't just contain the Word of God. Neo-Orthodoxy, next. Neo-Orthodoxy is that the Bible becomes the Word of God. The Bible becomes the Word of God. So rather than the Bible contains the Word of God, the Bible becomes God's Word. How does this happen? How does it become? How does it change? Well, the the neo-orthodoxy would say uh, it's it's through the personal encounters. It becomes the word of God to me when God encounters me in it, in that experience. As I read the, 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 the Bible, then God speaks to me and he it's an inward personal thing god god says other things that may or may not be the exact words of scripture but when i read the bible or when i hear a christian song or something like that then i have an experience and 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 god speaks to me in my mind and in my heart and and that's the word of god they would say that This view would say that Scripture is only man's witness about what God did. And these writings are not perfect. They're not inerrant. They're not without error. But the the hidden message of the Bible, the, the principles, the message of the Bible, that's from God. And when I read the Bible, I I hear from God what He's really saying. And that's what that's that's what I follow. This is very common to the point where instead of neo-orthodoxy, this is almost orthodoxy in the quote-unquote Christian church. We have to be very careful of this view. Yes, the Spirit illumines the Word of God to us, 
But what, this, what the Spirit communicates to us in our hearts is only what we read on the pages of Scripture. The illumination of the Spirit is the enablement to receive and accept what God has already said. Not to receive and accept something that God is saying to me. This is dangerous. This is, this is so subtle. We have to be careful of it. Many of the feel-good preachers and teachers and books are the re- direct result of this kind of understanding of Scripture. Third, dangerous view of Scripture. We have modernism, neo-orthodoxy. We have Roman Catholicism. As a Protestant church, as a Reformed Evangelical church, we ought not to forget our roots, of course, in the Scripture and in the Apostles, but but also in the Reformers throughout history, especially in the uh, 16th century. I I just want to simply, I I don't want to do, you know, Catholic bashing, right? That's never helpful. But I just simply want to, to read to you the words from uh, the catechism of the Catholic Church, okay? And, and you tell me how this sounds. This is word for word from the Catholic Church, the catechism of the Catholic Church written, or, or the, the, the version that was given in 1994. So this is recent. This is present. It says this. One, divine revelation was passed down in two ways. One, orally, as sacred tradition, and two, in writing, in sacred scripture. Both of which flow from the same divine wellspring of supernatural revelation. So they would say, yes, scripture is revelation, but they would also say, oral tradition, what is spoken by those in authority in the church is on par with the quality of revelation as scripture. Two, the church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scripture alone. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. The Pope, third, the Pope, the Pope as, as supreme pastor and teacher of all the people, speaks with infallibility, perfection. When he proclaims a divine act, a doctrine pertaining to faith or morals, and his doctrine must be adhered to with the obedience of faith. That's right from the pages of the Roman Catholic Catechism. That oral traditions, what, what church leaders say we ought to do, separated from the Word of God, even if it doesn't, isn't found in the Word of God, if they say it because of their office, it is a second scripture, essentially. It is divine revelation. It is on par in its authority, 
and its obligation to obedience. Again, the Pope, when he says something, when he proclaims something, any doctrine pertaining to faith or morals, his doctrine that he proclaims, you are obligated to obey. Now compare that with the definition of the biblical authority, the authority of Scripture. That's on the top of your notes. Authority of Scripture refers to the Bible's position as the Word of God to obligate its readers or hearers to entire submission and obedience. Biblically, there's no room in there for me to say something, to say my opinion, no matter how nice it might be, and then for you to obey me. Man is not given that position. Only the Word of God is. So we see the biblical view, just briefly. The biblical view is that the Bible is the Word of God. So if the if modernism or liberal view of the Word of God is that the Bible contains the Word of God, or neo-orthodoxy says that the Bible becomes the Word of God, or the Roman Catholic understanding that the Bible is part of the Word of God. I don't think I gave you that. It's part of the Word of God. The biblical view is that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, it is the Word of God, whether you believe it or not. Romans 3, 4. Let God be found true, Though every man be found a liar. What does that mean? If the whole world of humanity says one thing, but God is over here in in his scripture and he says another thing, trust what God says over what the whole world says. That's what it means. The Bible is the Word of God, whether you believe it or not, whether other people believe it or not, whether it is popular or not. It is the Word of God. He is the source of truth. This is good stuff, isn't it? Any questions to this point before we go on to the next point? Or thoughts? All right. Third, the testimonies of Scripture's authority. The testimonies. So we had the challenges. Now the testimonies of Scripture's authority. Uh, some, some biblical encouragements that, yes, this is the Word of God. Well, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies God's Word, that the Scripture is God's Word. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to come. And be with the disciples. And he describes spirit as, in John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. So he's promising the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 26, a little farther down, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. As the disciples, the apostles, write scripture, Jesus says the Spirit will come 
and he will teach you all things. And we've seen time and time again in uh, 1 Corinthians 2 that we are given God's wisdom by means of God's words, spiritual wisdom by spiritual words. 1 John 2.20 also says, John writes and says, uh, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. What's he talking about here? Verse 27, a little farther down. As for you, this, this, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, as the Spirit teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So this anointing of the Holy Spirit, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit teaches us truth. We don't need to go anywhere else besides what the Holy Spirit communicates to us that is in the word of God. What John is battling here is false teachers that are teaching other things outside of Scripture. And John says, no, you have the anointing, you have the Spirit. Spirit's in you, the Spirit has given you the Scriptures. You don't need them to teach you. You don't need anything else. You don't need the wisdom of the world to tell you what to do. God tells you what the truth is. So the Holy Spirit testifies that Scripture has authority in our lives. Jesus Christ as well testifies of this, the, the authority of the Holy Scriptures. Matthew 12, 1-3 says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry, and they picked the heads of grain and, and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said, that, he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? And he goes on to explain. When it comes to uh, an issue of, of what should and should not be done, as the disciples are going through these grain fields, they become hungry, and is it right for them to pick up pick the heads of the grain and eat on the sabbath because according to to these pharisees understanding is you don't work on the sabbath and so picking that head of grain because you're hungry that's work right you're reaping you're working you shouldn't work jesus says what <laughs> you know he says no that's that's that was not the point of the law he goes on to, 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 to explain this, but, but notice where, where Jesus goes to to give direction uh, for what is lawful and not lawful. Where does he go? How does he begin? Have you not read? That's where he goes. Jesus could have said, don't you know who I am? If I say it's okay for them to pick the heads of the grain and eat, then 
so be it. Thus says the Lord right now as I say it. He could have said that. But he goes back to the authority of Scripture. What was written thousands of years earlier, he says that is binding on us today. And you need to go back to, the, to what is written and read it and live by it. Let your present day actions be controlled by what is already written. Jesus himself did this. We see another example in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read? See, there it is again. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So he, he draws from Genesis 2. He draws from the truth there, and he lets Genesis 2 be authoritative over answering and giving what the answer is to their question. Again, Jesus could have just said, this is what's right. But he goes back to the authority of Scripture and says, let that have its weight on you. Let that answer your questions. Again, he, he keeps on saying, have you not read? Have you not read? It is written. Whenever you see Whenever you see uh, in, in the scripture, um, it is written. This is one word in the Greek, and it's, it's in the perfect tense. All right, we're getting nerdy here, but this is the context to do it. It's in the perfect tense. That means that it is, it's kind of like this blend between the past tense and the present tense. So the past, oh, excuse me, the past and the present equal the perfect tense. That, it's a crude way of, of putting it. It's, it skips a lot of detail, but essentially... It, it, to, to break it down for you, that, that's what this means. That it has been written and it still stands as written today. That's the perfect tense. So every time that this is said, this, this phrase, it is written. It, that's all over in the New Testament, isn't it? I mean, think about how many times you come across that phrase all over the place. And every time, it's this perfect tense where it says, God wrote it, and it still stands as written. That is, it is still authoritative. It is still a written law today, thousands of years later. All right. I don't know where that came from. Let's keep on going. Um, 
John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Again, Jesus continually testifies that God's word is truth. It's all we need for life and godliness. Scripture itself, of course, testifies of itself. So we have the Holy Spirit testifying to to the nature of Scripture. We have the Son of God testifying to the nature of Scripture. And we have the Scripture itself testifying of itself. Notice what it says about itself. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's this perfect tense idea. It is your word, which was written, it still stands. It is settled in heaven. It sits down on the throne of, of authority in heaven over all of humanity. That's the idea. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We take great hope in this because the word of God which stands forever is what contains the truth about our Savior. The truths of our Savior that we have come to know and love stand forever because the word stands forever. The promises of God in Scripture stand forever because the word stands forever. Notice what is said of Scripture. This happens, uh, Jesus talks this way, the writer of Hebrews talks this way. It says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then it goes on to quote Psalm 95, verse 7. So this is Psalm 95, right? Today, if you hear his voice, and it goes on. That was written a long time ago, long before even the author of Hebrews wrote this. Two things. Notice who says, who's, who the one speaking here is. Who's the one speaking? The Holy Spirit. But in Psalm 95, it's, it's the psalmist that speaks. So which one is it? Yes. <laughs> it's both. It's both. Notice also, th- this is why every word matters. The Holy Spirit says, He says, He says, present tense. So He says, today. Right now. When you read the Holy Scriptures, when the author of Hebrews writes and quotes Scripture, what was said, he says that not only did the Holy Spirit say that in the past through the author, but he says it today to you. So as we read Scripture, as we study Scripture, as Scripture is taught and preached, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Isn't that stunning? You get to hear the, the, very, the very words of God. You get to hear Him speaking. You know, there, there's, in some churches, there's this craze, if I have a fresh word, 
I, I have a new word. I have a present word for today. Well, I mean, anybody can say that. I can, ro- I can open to Philippians 2, or Philippians 1, a present word for today. Here's what God says today, right now, in this very moment. First, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. God says that right now. It's a fresh word. It's a present word. We don't need fresh words. We don't need anything new. He speaks today. I'm getting preachy. All right, I got to go. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I'm sorry, as we, the, the, the last point. The response to Scripture's authority. The response to Scripture's authority. So what do we do? What do we do with, with this Bible? Well, a few things. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So what is the right response to the word of God according to this? Believe. Yes. This, this belief is equated with receiving. So the receiving is to, be, is to believe. It's not just mental assent. It's not just, okay, I, don't, I, don't, I won't argue with that. I won't argue with truth claims of Scripture. That's not receiving it. That's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to, to receive it means he, he wants you to believe it. Believe Him, what He says. Just as if a friend or a family member were to come up to you and tell you something you, don't, you didn't know previously, to tell you a, 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 a piece of news that they just read on a crazy blog somewhere, right? Or maybe from something more reputable. You didn't hear this, 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 this news flash yet, and so you're hearing it just from this person for the first time. You have the choice to believe what they say or to not believe what they say, right? You either trust this person or you don't. So it is with us and the way we treat God. When we hear his word, it is what will you do with him? Do you believe him or not? Do you not or do you not trust him? See, it's personal. It's not just I believe this line of reasoning, or I, I believe that it's uh, that it is it's hard to argue against Scripture and, and, and to prove it wrong. No. Do you trust Him? Do you believe Him? The one whose word it is. So receive it, believe it. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. 
So what's the right response to the word of God here? Yes. Humility. Contrite spirit. Displays that spirit, displays itself in trembling at his word. What does that mean? It means to to be in 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 humble in a humble state of hum, of humility and obedience and there is this weight of the word of god on your life to where i need to obey this i just have to because of who god is because of the one who's speaking I must obey. 2 Timothy 4, last. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So what do we do with God's word here? Preach the word. Preach the word. That's why we preach. That's why we don't have discussions on Sunday morning when the preacher enters into the pulpit. It's not a discussion, right? I mean, this, this time, this is more, a little more dialogue. Uh, a, a community group that we have, there's even more dialogue, right? But when the word is preached, there's no dialogue. It's one way. We preach, we declare, it's caruso. We announce, thus says the Lord. That's what the preacher does. There's great weight to that. If, if you don't do the work of study, you can't get up in front of people and say, this is what God says. You have to take it seriously. Even as you teach in any class, as you give counsel to somebody, as you disciple other men and women, as you instruct your children, as you have influence in anybody's life, and you bring the word of God, you need to understand what it says so that you can say, thus says the Lord to all those people around you. Titus 2, Paul tells Titus, after giving very specific directions about how to handle different kinds of people in the church, older men, uh, younger men, older women, younger women, uh, how to handle the whole church as a whole, uh, elders, leaders, lots of instruction. And he says, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Notice that what is said must be said with authority. If you can say this is what God says, you have all authority. It's not your authority. The preacher's authority in the pulpit does not come from any position or any education. Any degree doesn't come from that. It only comes from 
their alignment with Scripture, insomuch that the speaker aligns their words with the words of God. There is an ever-increasing weight of authority. And so as you teach, as you encourage one another, as you instruct your children, as you guide your household, as you have influence over other men and women in the church and outside the church, whatever your sphere of influence, wherever God has called you to lead, as we'll learn about in the next hour, speak the word of God. And let his authority, as it were, permeate through you to them so that they would not obey you, but obey the living God. And that is the obligation of every believer. That is the obligation, actually, of every human being. Not just every believer. Every human being is obligated to obey God's word. Because it is from God. It is divine. So we trust in it, isn't, don't we? We go to it. Next week we're going to learn about the clarity of Scripture. Not only is, is Scripture authoritative, but it's clear. God wants to be understood. He wants you to know Him. He didn't speak in, in a way where He is behind a veil. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to understand his mind. And he wants you to be confident that as you read the word and, and, and strive to, to see him and understand him, you can trust that what he says is true. So that's next week, the clarity and the veracity of scripture. Trust that you'll join us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Lord, that you did speak to us and you didn't leave us here in the darkness, but you revealed yourself, you revealed your plan of redemption to us, Lord, and you give this word to us in written form so that we can take it and apply it to our lives, apply it to the lives of those around us, and we can take it and declare it to the world. We pray, Lord, that, uh, your, that, this, that this church would be a lighthouse for truth, that people would come here and, and, and be confident that God speaks there. He speaks there in the pulpit. He speaks there in the classroom. He speaks there in the nursery. He speaks there in every ministry. He speaks there in the homes. He speaks there through the people in the pews. Lord, I pray that that would be a key mark of this church. This is where God speaks as we speak your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen.